Welcome to Discover Indie Film. I'm your host, Jeff Howard, and I'm very excited. I've got Alex Angelis here. And you know what, Alex? I was going to ask you about pronunciation of your last name because I've spent enough time in Europe that sometimes I look and I think, oh, maybe it's like some sort of French derivation. It should be Angeli or something, but... Oh, um, no, it's it's actually Greek. And it used to be Angelitis, but they changed it in Ellis Island. But it's just Angelus, like Los Angeles. Excellent. So I said it right. Well, dear listener, Alex wrote and directed a film called Seancing, which was at the Sherman Oaks Film Festival in 2020, which was, of course, November 2020. It was an all virtual thing. So uh, we did a Q&A on Zoom back then, and we are back on Zoom to do the Discover Indie Film podcast about it, because besides being a wonderful film, in fact, Seancing took home two awards from that festival. It took home Outstanding Short Film Comedy and I'll add Outstanding Screenplay Comedy written by Alex. You wrote and directed the film. Yes, so golf clap, bravo. I was, uh, I mean, I don't mean to play favorites, but you know, I just, all the jury members send in spreadsheets and then we do a calculation and I actually do the, I set up the formula that pulls all the info together. And when I see like a film like Seancing get outstanding screenplay, I kind of get extra happy because I love it when the juries are like dead on right. And, and also like acknowledge something that's a little more creative and a little more, more original, you know, you never know. Anyway, I, I just want to applaud you for the writing and the directing that you did. Thank you. And that uh, the film is going to be in season seven of the Discover Indie Film TV series, which is already out. I believe this podcast is going to come out like in February and January 15th. It should come out. In fact, I just peaked and Seancing is in episode three, which it's actually a super great episode. They're all great episodes, but uh, your film is introduced by a hilarious film called Lou where uh, a woman's cat returns after after like a 15-year absence where she left it with a neighbor, but it's played by an old man in a cat suit, which is adorable. Oh, my God. And then That's after funny. your film, we have two more, which is uh, Me Is You and Miniature Chess, which are like artsy-fartsy comedies slash, uh, you know. So anyway, killer episode. Anyone who likes indie film should go to Amazon Prime Video and type in Discover Indie Film for their search and uh, enjoy Alex's film Seancing, which <laughs> is just hilarious and wonderful and good-hearted. I love, I mean, talk about good-hearted comedy. So anyway. Yeah. Um, actually, I had a question for you just to start the interview off. <laughs> um, did, um, when you first saw the title, did it throw you? No, it okay. didn't. In fact... I really like it. Uh, yeah, because it's seance dash ing. Yeah. And it actually, well, so I'm a weirdo, right? As a, a being a festival programmer puts you in a different category. No matter where you came to it from, I now, it happens to be two festivals that I program. And even if there's other jury members for now, I still watch everything. I feel that obligation. And the festivals Amazing. have grown. Like, like I'm watching 1500 films, or I should say I start 1500 films a year because there's right. about 800 for Sherman Oaks and 700 for Film Invasion LA. And I got to admit, I've become a title snob. <laughs> like if someone has a title, like, uh, well, let me just say a very talented friend. Oh, I can't say that on while it's being recorded, but let's just say the name Seance has been overused. Like if you type in seance into IMDb, you get 72 results and you can't find your friend's film. Right, right. Whereas you created a new term, seance-ing, and it's completely unique. And I just I, I just love a unique title. Hooray. Because there were, it was like, when I was testing it out amongst, you know, friends, people were like, what is that? That's so like... I don't know, some sort of brain arrow and it's going to confuse people and they're going to like say no to it, you know? Um, but do I have a memory of you asking something a lot like you and Vince saying something along the lines of we worry people might think it's horror or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause it's like, 
seance, spooky, you know, totally isn't spooky though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but Ing turning it into a gerund, that's fun loving. I can't yeah. help it. I think, I, I think it works. Yeah. I do. Me too. I like it. Plus, wouldn't it have sucked to think of something else? To think of something else? Like to think of another title. Like once you have one, sometimes oh, it's really yeah. hard. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Then it's like, what, am I going to rename my child? What? No. It's yeah, so plus weird. they all rename themselves now, so. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Keeps happening. We got, we got a kid in high school, and like all her friends are like, oh, that's her dead name. She has a new name. Oh, I know they call it dead name when I, when I, the name their parents gave them. anyway. Wow. Oh, oh, that that's some sort of pain. It's like it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to dismiss it. I, I admit, like, no, no. I mean, I that's their process and journey and respect. But like, interesting to call the parents the the name that you gave to your child the dead name. It's a little personally that might feel. A little weird. I agree. I wish, I wish there was, I wish it was like my ex name or my, you know, like, I don't know, especially because I think some of them may switch back as they mature because, you know, it's, uh, but I, I understand it's, this is an era of identity. We're paying more attention to it. It's all about like having your own coming into your own. I mean, it's something that children have always done and, rebelled and it's totally normal and healthy oh yeah for sure you know they keep coming up with interesting ways of doing it yeah all right so we're not talking about your film or Mm. you so so i will well that actually it's on topic it's very much that time of life yeah yeah in fact a wonderful i mean you could call it a coming of age film even though it's really a sleepover but yes. it's, it's, uh, but I think they, they achieve an understanding. I would love to call it a coming of age film. I think that that's kind of what I set out to do, that it is a sleepover, but in, within the course of that basically few hours, they grow so much and come to like a lot of realizations that will help them move forward in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, cause they're tweens. They're, they're in that, uh, they're about to or just hitting puberty. And Lord knows, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a high school teacher just because I wanted to stay around people of that age because like every day they're becoming someone else and something more interesting and more mature. I I just, I just think that's a wonderful time of life. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so ripe. And like, I think as Adults, hopefully, we can all continue to grow. But I think the change and the things that you come up against um, just happen very much more quickly at that age because you're testing out things and, uh, you know, thinking, like, figuring out what you can get behind as a person. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, before I ask, see, we're, we're getting so close to me narrowing in on what inspired you to write the story. But instead of focusing on seancing for this moment, I'm going to jump back and ask you the general use question, which is. Hold on. Oh, as a, as, oh sorry. Cat. All right. If there's an awkward pause, it's because we had a cat pause and oh, cat pause. That's a nice pun. But, but Alex is now ready for my question, which is. I, I do know you as as a as a performer because actually you were in uh, an earlier film that was at Sherman Oaks Film Festival. Amusingly, you you were you were in uh, Razzi, which uh, yes. a couple <laughs> years before, and and then you came and then you came as a writer director in a film that you did not appear in, which I always respect, and uh, you know I just love when actors choose to not put themselves in their own stuff. Like you could have given yourself a mom cameo or something, and instead you like made it all about these kids. So what were your inspirations to get into this? Were you initially an actor? Were you initially a writer? What were your interests when you were young? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. I was going to say I definitely was initially an actor, but when I was very young, I started acting when I was 11, but um, when I was very young, I 
I was a writer and um, my sister and I would write little plays and perform them on the fireplace, you know, step. And uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but for a long time, I've been an actress. I still am. And um, I just like noticed that on set, on the several sets that I've been on, I started to more and more think about all the different decisions that are being made on at any given moment. And I got very curious. And then I realized that I had opinions about all these different aspects of the filmmaking process and <clears throat> that it would be fun to see how I fared in the role of the decision maker. And so I decided to give it a try. <laughs> and you had been, and you had been written stuff and performing it as a kid. So, so you did have the creative spark in you. You weren't yeah. just, uh, you know, I think there's a big difference between the kids who write something and do it for family and the kids who get up and just perform like a scene they've seen on TV or in a oh, movie. Yeah. You know, like I, I've seen both from, from kids and, and whenever the kids are creating something, you know, I, you see that spark and you're like, Ooh, nurture this. So yeah. I'm not surprised that as an actor, that creative spark in you was still burning a little. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like normal or not, but I just remember like, as we played pretend we would like, script each other it's like oh and then you say this and then I'll say this and then you say that and then and then we would like rehearse it and then we would do it but it wasn't always a performance like you know we wouldn't like go show our parents that it was just as we were pr playing pretend we were making like honing the scene <laughs> that was interesting and then I went to NYU and went to the experimental theater wing which really puts an emphasis on self-scripting and um you know creating your own work so I was well primed to step into the writer-director role. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to make you back up chronologically. So you started acting at 11, you said. So does that was that like uh, auditioning and stuff or, or was it school plays and things? It was like I went to theater camp and, um, well, it wasn't like camping in the woods, but like, you know, a day camp. And um, I, that was like, musical theater and it's super fun, uh, really got us out of our shell. I say us, I have a twin sister, so it's always us. Um, and, uh, I actually met my husband in theater camp that first year when I was 11. <laughs> really? So you knew each other that long. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we didn't start dating till college, but we were friends and we did all sorts of theater and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I just got, I got the bug. And, and I didn't ask what part, where did you grow up? Um, that all happened in Carmel. Oh, Carmel, California. So yeah. one of the more beautiful parts of the world. It is very beautiful. Very, we're very lucky. My mom, we moved from Florida, a farm in Florida to Carmel because my mom got a job at the Naval Postgraduate School, which is, I think people, that's what Monterey is kind of known for. I mean, except for the beauty. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's when we were, our lives changed in California and we were brought out of our shell by theater. And all, and just acting through high school and then NYU, that's, that's, that's a, and I assume the experimental theater thing was, was uh, what you went into NYU as an actor mostly? Yes. So NYU has um, several different studios, different approaches to acting and an experimental theater is the best one. I'm just kidding. Um, but it, <laughs> oh, look, I mean, it, it sounds like the best. I mean, yeah. it's really, it was really fun. Uh, so such a valuable experience. Um, and like a lot of really cool uh, creators have come out of that because it's like, not only are they actors, but they, you know, bring something from the ground up. Um, that, so are you familiar with pen 15? Uh, very every episode I've seen. Okay. So those two gals, Anna and Maya went through experimental theater wing too. So that's what I'm saying. Like they came up with this idea for themselves and made it what it is. And it's right. So they don't just encourage like experimental 
theater as far as like finding obscure plays, but they want you to create something very original that involves yourself. That's yeah. That's they highlight that a lot. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen pen 15 on Hulu, uh, just watch it. It is, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's such a fun idea to have the adults play kids. And also it's like, back to seancing like that age it's so ripe (laughs) I think that's why it's so fun to watch like a an adult sort of going back into their um that mindset because you get this sort of perspective on it that you would wouldn't get if it was just kids playing kids yeah and a perspective on their lack of perspective exactly which which is which is yeah so great so NYU must have been a wonderful experience and I imagine I mean you know I like complimenting people. So I'll add, it kind of does tell me, I guess I'm a educational snob because it tells me you were talented and bright because NYU is pretty hard to get into. (laughs) So, you know, bravo for, uh, for, for that. Were they, were they just outstanding years there? Yes. I wouldn't trade them for a thing. Um, You know, I have lifelong friends and collab collaborators. And I think of, my training often, you know, uh, there's always the sort of not so joking joke about how you don't need a a theater degree, which yeah, technically you don't, but what I learned, I mean, super invaluable and like, just like, I can't describe it. It's, It's not just craft. It was the whole attitude towards creation that has really stuck with me. Yeah. And brought you out to New York from, from the California coast and what amazing experience did. So did you stick around and like do some New York theater or what, what happened after school? You know, I would have, um, but right as I graduated, I was in a show that was weirdly enough in LA. Um, there was a group of uh, creators and theater folks that I had worked with before college, and they were doing a version of a Shakespeare play that they were going to take to um, this Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And it was very exciting. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, And to have something right away, like the week after I graduated was awesome. And so I went there, but then, um, like right as dovetailing on us finishing our run, I booked a movie and then I was like, I booked a commercial. And then, uh, you know, I kept being like, I'm going back to <laughs> New York, but then I just stuck, I got stuck in LA. <laughs> yeah. Right. The work brought you here. Yeah. So, which is a great reason to move here. Absolutely. For sure. And, and then you just hit the ground running and, and, uh, focused mostly on acting the whole way. Uh, yeah, I did. I was focused a lot on acting until I don't know the, the filmmaking thing. I saw a lot of my ETW experimental theater wing, um, friends, you know, doing the thing, creating their own work and everything. And, and it was kind of intimidating to me because I felt like, Oh, it's cause they have better connections and not, I mean, they did have great connections, but, um, or like, it just didn't seem accessible to me in the same way. Uh, especially since it was LA and like LA was kind of intimidating. I felt like I knew theater, but not how to navigate television and film, even though it was a new, exciting place to create. And so I put it off for several years. Um, I mean, the, the self-creation stuff I was was acting and that was awesome. But, uh, but then like in 2012, I finally, as I was stuck in traffic, I came up with this idea that just like came like all fully formed in a short film. And then I was like, you know what? I know a sound guy and I know this person has a camera and like, let's just do this. And, and suddenly I was a filmmaker and I was like, Oh wait, that was kind of easy. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't easy, but it was once you're on the other side, you're like, oh, now I'm a filmmaker. Yeah, because it it felt 
it felt like a really high mountain to climb until you got on that mountain. And then you said, yeah. well, if you know the right people and, and you're obviously a pretty good manager or producer because bringing all those elements together and having it work, it's a whole lot different than bringing a bunch of people together and finding out, oh, no one's working well together. And, and this uh, could have been a terrible experience. Yeah, that's super important. Um, and I do think that actually if I hadn't spent the time, you know, just focusing on acting and like making just relationships and knowing, getting to know people in LA that it wouldn't have been possible. I mean, as a first film, you want to be surrounded by friendly people <laughs> who you have some goodwill with and will be patient. Yeah. For sure. So, and and that was one that you wrote and directed? I wrote it, but I, I asked my friend John Parmanish Boca to direct it, which was great. Excellent. Excellent. And then, and so that was 2012. So eight years before Seance Sing, you make, uh, you make a short. Did you just keep that uh, balance going of, of auditioning and acting and acting and acting, and then occasionally doing a short every year or three? Yeah. It was more like every three. <laughs> no, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And then you finish it and you know, I'm a huge fan of shorts. That's why there's a discovery indie film TV series based around shorts because the short, you know, ah, you make a beautiful short and then, and then there's after the festival run, where does, what do you have? It's, yeah. it's a tough one to, I admire people who just keep going back to it because they're not, uh, it's not like someone who's, rolling the dice on a feature thinking that they will be the next Ed Burns or Kevin Smith. Right. Like it's, it's, it's for the art. Yeah. And I think it's also a good thing to say, like, it's a calling card to use an overused phrase. Um, but it has been very useful for me. And I've also done a bunch of like music videos. So in between, uh, short films, I did music videos, which were a little bit more, um, I don't know, I guess less, less hats for me to wear because, you know, there's no dialogue. <laughs> I didn't write the lyrics. And um, I think the artist has an idea and then I come and hone it and we work on that together. And I mean, I love directing music videos. It's just like such a little, it's almost like a trailer. Um, yeah. Um, but I do like to have narrative in my music videos. And I think that's what people like about them, or at least have commented on. So there and is that's something you started. So you get, that's really very cool that I actually, I'm also a huge fan of music video. And, and I think, uh, I know not all music videos are, are narratives, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in the, I'm a kid of the eighties. So obviously, uh, that was the heyday of music video as, as, as true filmmaking really. So was it just, you knew musicians and, and through conversations you ended up saying, well, I'll direct your video or was it some other way you got um, into that? So, uh, going back to my favorite all time collaborator, my twin sister is a musician. <laughs> so it was just like, like a, a match made in heaven, you know, She's like, you're a filmmaker. You know all these people <laughs> that can help, you know, get something made. And um, and also we know this one cinematographer who is this brilliantly talented guy, but he is not in the industry. He like does it as a hobby. So we're just like, and he's from our hometown. His name's Lee Holbrook. And, um, and he, you, we call him up and we're like, so we have this idea. Um, if it's not too much trouble, like, and, and we'll pay you. And he's like, no, it's an excuse for me to buy this new piece of equipment. And, I, and now I can like have fun with it. And, and so that's just like incredible, um, that we can experiment with him and make new things. And we're so lucky. So yeah. That's wonderful. I, right, so, so you did that. And that sounds great. And then did you write more scripts? When did you first direct like a full narrative short? So Burying Amber was the next one. Um, I did that. 
uh, in, was it 2015? Yeah. And um, it was set on my family farm where I grew up uh, in the winter. And I had always wanted to have, like I dreamt of things being set there. A lot of my dreams were set there literally my dreams and um and it sort of had this haunting quality not that it's haunting it's just like it's sort of nostalgic in a melancholy way especially in the winter and um and so that's where we set it and it's this sort of sad story uh but uh anyway that was my first writing and directing experience and it was so amazing because it's I think pretty rare for uh vision to come out kind of the way you thought it would which is often great because it comes out it's like better or different and like interesting in some way because of all the collaborators but um it was me my producer slash husband and the cinematographer Thomas Marchese and that was it and I mean I was the actor too so um so it's just the three of us and we made what I described it was like so fulfilling. <laughs> um, Which is great. And it's great that, you know, because Lord knows, I, I think you do have a, if someone checked IMDb, they'd see you have a nice long list of credits, but as far as being artistically rewarding, Lord knows, like, you know, TV work and a lot of a wonderful work that, that someone should obviously you're grateful for the career but it's not always fulfilling in the same way as as self-expression right exactly I mean that's I think the best part about making your own work is that it's exactly the work you want to be doing otherwise why would you do it (laughs) yeah and one of the joys of of shorts right because uh because you can make it exactly you you can do exactly what you want. Right. Whereas, you know, often I know a lot of people who have made a feature and look at it and go, I compromise that thing to death, a death by a thousand cuts because it's tough. Yeah. Not that it can't be done. Even without a trust fund. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But even with all the money in the world, like it's, it's so hard to get from the first initial nugget to like fruition without, I mean, compromise is part of the beauty of filmmaking, but without it completely changing character. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's just the challenge and, um, yeah, it was very rewarding to, I don't know, give birth to the thing you thought you would you were going to. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. And I guess, right. Uh, and you, your cinematographer who my short term memory doesn't allow me to remember his name. But but there's a difference between uh, compromise and collaboration. Right. And when you're exactly. collaborating yes. with people and it's good, everything comes out the way you saw it or better. And when yeah. it's compromise, it means you're working with the wrong people and you have to accept, well, this is all I can get out of that person. And you can't do every, everything yourself. I won't set every role, but I don't mean acting role. I mean, you can't set yeah, the yeah. lights. You can't do this. You're not going to run camera. You're not, you know, you're not even, you can't, if you try to be your own script supervisor, you're probably going to drive yourself crazy. It's, it's uh, is there's a lot goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Thomas Marchese, he was the cinematographer. He was so on the same page um like it was interesting because we didn't always communicate like it took like a few iterations to like explain where my headspace was um but it was actually cool that it had to be like that because I had to get extremely clear which was good for me good for the project and um because I think uh I've worked so much with my twin sister. So we have this kind of shorthand and same similar taste. So working with other people, (laughs) I have to get, I have to hone my skills of communication, which is clearly what you need as a director. Um, 
first and foremost. And, um, so, so it was very good, but, and for him to have the patience and, and the, anyway, we got along enough to where that we could have the patience to, to get to communication, which was great. And, and Thomas is a, a director in his own right. So, um, he's very talented with the camera, but he is directing features and he's fancy now. Um, <laughs> he has a movie called from black that, uh, is coming out soon. You know, keep an eye out for that. It's starring Anna camp. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah that's very, it's interesting. You know, I've resisted cause I want to treat you as the artist you are and, and not someone who's a twin, but I do <laughs> want to share with you something amazing, which is, at the Sherman Oaks Film Festival 2022, which was one month ago, so it's very fresh in my mind, we had three sets of co-directing identical twins. Oh, whoa. Three sets out of <laughs> three sets of twins from out of, uh, I believe, 60 films. So like one in 20 films, 5% of our films are directed by identical twins. And like when the third set came up for a Q&A, like on the fourth day, I was like, well, the pattern is now recognized. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, excellent films. So it makes me, you know, the whole two heads are better than one thing. Yeah. I, I what can I say? Twins, it's uh twins are a special miracle of humanity, I guess, uh, when they get along and create together. Yeah, I think so. And that's what it, like my parents always said, it's like, you know, if you get along, you're unstoppable. Because we would fight a lot. Because, I mean, you know each other so well, you can push each other's buttons with no fuse, you know. But then if you if we combine our forces for good, it is it's great. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. But also nice that uh, she went into music and you went into acting and directing. So it's you have your own your own parts of the artistic world, yet you're both artists. Very, very nice. We we support each other in those things too, though, because like I'm her backup singer. I do harmonies with her. And if there's a, you know, a role for twins, she hops in and we work together and that's awesome being on set with her. And so, but we don't compete directly, which is great. <laughs> I'm going to hate myself for this question, but are you ever tempted to write like a role where your character is looking in the mirror and you can do wild spe fake special effects with your twin because you can, <laughs> you can get away with, uh, you know, it's like you got a built-in special effect there, visual effect. Yeah, we would. Um, there was one uh, short that we were toying with where it was like split personality, um, but uh, it never came to fruition. I think at that time in my acting life, I was, I felt a little bit pigeonholed by my agent. She was just only doing twin stuff. And I was like, well, I don't want to like fuel that fire if I'm going to create the work that I want to do. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of fun things you can do with twins. <laughs> I admit that was why I kind of didn't want to even ask the question was I'm like, you know, I don't want, I don't want you to, it must as wonderful as being a twin is, it's probably also annoying at times when people treat you like, like you don't exist without your twin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> my, well, that happens. <laughs> so uh, I will, I will double down my efforts. Just focus on, on without, but okay. I had to tell you that we had three sets of identical no, directing twins. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? Yeah, and, and uh, they and they were all very funny on stage. So anyway, you make your first film, Bearing Amber, and and then some music videos, and then you you do a couple more shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one called "You Die First, which we I wrote and I directed and we shot and and then it just all fell apart. <laughs> So that's like a sad, it didn't happen story. I never saw the light of day just because um, the sound was unsalvageable. We uh, shot it from shore with the actors on kayaks in Monterey Bay. And it was cool looking, but the sound for whatever reason, it like the water and I don't know, it just was all unusable 
Um, too bad. But I still feel like that was part of my directing journey. <laughs> but anyway, um, then several years went by and uh, I did many more music videos and I actually did um, like some documentary work, which was really interesting. Um, I will say that documentary work isn't my favorite. I think my brain and my control issues <laughs> got in the way because gosh, if documentary filmmaking isn't a practice in impermanence and letting go, like if you miss something, that's done. You, you don't get to start from one, you know? Um, and that was like a lot for me, but it was super rewarding if you did capture something. Anyway, so I did some documentary work, which was fulfilling for the project that it was just because of the, the subject matter. Um, uh, but anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Um, and, uh, and then I did seancing, uh, which was something that I really had had in my brain for a long time because it's, you know, as you can probably guess, somewhat uh, autobiographical <laughs> or at least inspired by the experiences that I myself had. Um, <laughs> and it was just so wonderful to do a period piece and go back into that nostalgic uh, time period. And um, from a production standpoint, made my husband, who's always my producer, um, nervous. Cause he's like, I was like, you know, it's easy. It's going to be, you know, one location. They're just under a trampoline. He's like, yeah, but it's a period piece. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but I have stuff. From the right, 90s. right. You're like I held on to my stuff from the yeah. from the late. But plus, I mean, he was right, uh, of course, that that it poses a challenge. But also, what it gave you was a chance to achieve, right? Because by doing something ambitious like that, because Lord knows, the accuracy and feel of the film is huge, and the fact that you were able to make a film that. Absolutely. It's not nostalgia. It, it feels like you went back and, and shot it back then. Yeah, that's what we wanted it to feel like. And um, to me, also, it wasn't just the the look of, you know, the, the fashion and uh, the technology and everything. It was the sounds really were important to me. Like the sound of hanging up a like an analog phone. Do you remember? So so satisfying. <laughs> I, mean, I, I remember the... being able to talk on the phone. Like <laughs> yeah. now, if people call me on this little smartphone, I'm like, why is this not a text? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we used um, to spend hours on those corded phones. Yeah. And like I I went to the Universal Prop House to get a phone. And um, and like I tested them all out, like with the sound. I like picked them all up. Like, is that quite it? Is that what I remember? Is that what my phone sounded like? Oh, oh no, that one. That one's so satisfying. That's the sound. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and the sound of a cassette being pushed into a into a cassette player. Like yes. we don't get that off our off our streaming devices. <laughs> yeah. And even the um the very subtle sound when the the disc CD would start spinning in the boom box. Like I I worked with uh, our sound designer um, was not from that era. He's significantly younger. And I had to like explain <laughs> all these things. I'm like, you have to put this in, you have to put that in. And like, of course the, the dial up sound, which was like so awful that I had to explain it to my actress, like when we were shooting it, like, yeah, you look something up on the internet and then you have to wait. And she's like, what am I waiting for? I'm like, you'll see. <laughs> Because you grew up in such wait. a special time. You you were young when the internet was young. Yeah. Which uh, is uh fascinating because obviously I'm I'm probably 20 years older than you. So for me, all that was like different. But yeah, that's that is so cool. And and this was an idea that you'd always had, or it had been lurking, and you remembered it as just a really special event in your life and, and something funny that you could look back on and, and have fun yeah. with. And, and so that's what inspired you to write. It was. Yeah. Um, should I describe it just briefly? Yeah. Feel free. 
for the context. Um, so it's these three, like 13 year old girls, uh, who they get some news that they have to process about their favorite boy band. And so they gather together, uh, at one of their friend's houses and they have a seance, which, um, to them means lighting candles and, you know, getting under the trampoline and listening to tunes and processing what's happened together. And, um, and then there's, you know, you find out what has happened and it's sort of a twist, but, uh, but, uh, why did I, but in that way, I'll just add the compliment. It is, it is a, a heartwarmingly fun version of usual suspects in a way in that you create a question, right? You create the question right off the bat, what are they upset about? And you keep that secret till the last frame, essentially. Yeah. So it really is uh, in a funny way. Like, what do you call that? I mean, it's you, we call it comedy in this case because it's a fun film, but it almost has that thriller aspect of like, who done it? What, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, people have said, that they thought it was much worse. I mean, and I think I allowed it to, you could think that one of the band members committed suicide or something like terrible like that. Um, but then when it you is revealed what it is, you're like, Oh my God, that's so silly. Um, but in my memory of, of this kind of thing. And in the story, hopefully that people are watching, it's not silly. The experience that they go through is real. And, um, and it really, it meant something to them, even though, I don't know, at that age, things just hit you differently. (laughs) Um, and it's just a turning point, whatever the catalyst may be, it, it was, the catalyst for growth and, and, and thinking about things differently and, and, you know, what life is going to be like. So. I, I completely agree. And, and we won't give it away, but (laughs) I'll say like in my, I thought it was maybe someone left the band, but Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was like a really dark thing. But also I, I remember telling our kid when she was like 11, I'm like, thing about being a teenager is the first time you feel something it's the first time you feel something and it's really the first time feeling real disappointment yeah betrayal beloved you know just like my god the way i felt about some uh i can't believe i'm gonna mention it but like like the way i felt when i found out that dustin hoffman was a scumbag too i was like oh my god like such disappointment but i can handle it because I happen to be in my fifties when it happened or whatever. Right. But yeah, to be 13 and have someone you absolutely love and adore disappoint you. That's, and the first time you feel disappointment at that level, it's major. Yeah. 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 Especially when it, um, is somebody like, yeah, your idols, it's always tricky, um, getting too close to them because, you know, you want them to be the, these pillars of, of how to go about life. Um, they're your role models. And then they do something that is unexpected or, you know, something that's out of line to what you imagined. It can be, it can throw you, um, even as adults, but exactly. We can handle it now. Um, and then just because I, it's the 17th time we've been disappointed. Yeah. We have yeah. experience with it. Yeah. And we can wrap our heads around it and, and sort of adjust. Um, and, uh, and then, but it's always an opportunity to go, whatever I was modeling, uh, myself in, if they're a role model, if I'm modeling my life after them, it's a reminder to go, I have my own life. It's okay. Everybody's on their own path this can be true and I can, you know, also emulate the kind of person that I would like to be. Um, and every, your idols are kind of like your guides. They're not, they don't owe you anything. And I think that's a huge, um, learning moment too, as a, as a young person to realize that 
people don't owe you think anything and everybody's on their own path and you yourself can be on your own path. And isn't that liberating? I think that's why you won the award for outstanding screenplay because <laughs> you didn't just, you could have, and someone else would have, and it still would have been funny, would have written a script basically making fun of how silly we can be when we're 13. Right. But instead you wrote something filled with empathy and thoughtfulness and we still can can laugh at what what the crushing event was in retrospect but yeah you 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 gave this a lot of depth and and thought thank you i and i hope that i can do that um now that i have my own daughter um i cuz i remember being that age and um and feeling like people thought i was silly a lot and like recognizing it I think as adults, we often are like, ah, like as if kids don't, aren't hearing it. Like it's, we're, we're like doing asides, like, isn't that silly? But like, I remember hearing it and being like, the, <laughs> feeling bad. And I said to myself, when I have kids, I'm going to take them seriously. And I, I knew that it was, I was going to grow and have different perspectives and, and, uh, you know, become an adult because I could see that adults had different ways of thinking and you're, I'm not always going to think like a child, but right then that's who you are. And that's important to accept and to, to witness with respect. And I, I, that's what I tried to do with dancing. And, um, and I hope that I can do that for my own daughter too. I think you will. I think, I hope you're easy on yourself because you won't oh, always yeah. be great, but, but I, the goal, right? Well, I would like the goal of every parent to be, to be just, we get a lot of programming from our parents and it comes out and we're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize, I didn't realize I was ever going to say that, but it turns out I, I do have them in me. But if we just improve a little bit, yeah. A little more thoughtful. Yeah, yeah I do I, that. I do that a lot. And I know that it's not like it wasn't um, malicious at all. It, and it's often actually delighted. Um, I, I had a, a moment a few years ago where I was with a friend's teenage, uh, she was 12, um, daughter, and she was playing guitar and singing a song that she wrote. And I was like, cackling with delight because <laughs> it was so good and I you know it was just delightful and she just like got so upset and I was like oh no what 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 and then my friend who's who is her dad who's also a, a child uh psychologist actually um <laughs> he was like oh she feels like she, you're laughing at her and I was like oh my god like that was not my intention at all, but yeah, I probably wouldn't have laughed out of delight if it was a an adult. I was like, kind of, it was somewhat out of shock that it was so good and she was so talented. And, and to come at something with shock <laughs> isn't super complimentary, you know? Like you shouldn't be so surprised that they're so great. Right? Well, like, I think it's actually fair to be surprised by talent. No, it's fair. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That yeah. like, even from a good-hearted standpoint, you can. It's just a little delicate sometimes that you can do things that are a little. Um, I don't want to say harmful, but for lack of a better word, um, ouchy, uh, <laughs> without meaning to, you know. Oh no, you can, uh, especially at that age, at that age, yeah. you can, the, the most, a very heartfelt expression of support can be taken at, in the, all the wrong ways because it's like condescending or like, yeah. So interesting to sort a, of try to step back into that. Yeah. And you're 12 years in 12 years, you'll have a 13 year old sitting next to you at dinner. I yeah. know. And it's going to be, be And I'll be even further from it. So I just want to keep reminding myself of what it feels like to be in those shoes. You know? I was about to say, the wonderful thing is, is you can show your daughter seancing 
Yeah. Because it's perfectly clean too. You don't need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing to worry about there. It'd be great to share it. Heck, you can share it with her when she's eight or nine. Yeah. And it's like basically my own experience. So, I mean, I, I remember very vividly asking my mom, like, did you ever feel like this? And if she said yes, it was so uh, comforting <laughs> because I, you know, you just, you just want to feel like you're not a weirdo at that age, you know? Oh my God. It's so and felt this way. I mean, we're, we're just talking about uh, adolescence now, but yeah, it is so hard to convince a kid that the feeling you're feeling, you're not the only person in the world to feel this way. Honestly, we respect your feelings, but we want you to know you are normal and you are human. And this is what it's like. And like, don't feel like you're the only person in your high school who's walking around feeling this way. Like, everybody's an oddball and they don't yeah. don't think anyone has it together. Yeah. Gosh. And then you have to remind yourself of that through your whole life. I think too. Oh my God. <laughs> when something then. bad happens, the trust us by next week, no one's going to care anymore about that embarrassing thing you did at school. No, my life is over. It's like, no, tr the odds are tomorrow. There'll be something <laughs> else for everyone to gossip about. You can't, you know, there's no reason for her to believe me. Yeah. I was like, I know you don't believe me, but the biggest thing in the world today, no one will remember very quickly. Yeah. There'll be something else. Yeah. Hmm. Just like, uh, just like your film. All right. So after seancing, and by the way, seancing was all made pre-COVID, right? Yes. Just barely. <laughs> and then you had the shitty experience of completing your film, uh, I guess during lockdown, you might have been in post or? We we finished it before uh, lockdown, but we are, every festival that we had submitted to was in 2020. <laughs> so. Yeah. When we thought that, yeah, in, in, you know, in March of 2020, people were submitting to festivals and going, well, we should be back in the theaters by the time the festival comes around. Yeah. I remember when it was like two weeks and it'll be fine. <laughs> if we all just stay home for three weeks, infection yeah. rates will be low enough. Turns out things don't work out perfectly. Yeah, I know. And then I was like, and then, yeah, you submitted to a, a festival like Sherman Oaks that was going to be in November. And odds are you submitted, you know, a couple months ahead of that. And, you know, it felt like maybe we we didn't know about holiday surges and stuff yet. Yeah. So, so naive. <laughs> well, it was our first pandemic in this country right. that actually hit <laughs> other countries that already done, dealt with it and they handled it much better. And uh, I don't even yeah. know if we will again. We don't have to talk about that. But so, yeah, yeah you had a uh, a very virtual festival run. Yeah, which actually was, um, I mean, God, it feels so normal now. But I think at the time, you know, there were some advantages uh, to having like uh, pre-recorded Q and A's. Actually, the one that we recorded about seancing is on my website, on the seancing website, because I really loved our conversation, and it you know it gives a great context or a back story of how it was made and what it was all about. Um, and you know, it's really special to be in a theater and have a real you know, in-person Q&A and have that real in-person experience with the audience. But I think having that, like, to show and still and keep is cool, too. And a lot more people were able to see it, actually. So Yeah, and you were able, because of, this, because of this Zoom stuff, instead of only getting a Q&A for the festivals you could attend, you pretty much, well, I guess some, not all festivals did a virtual Q&A, but I assume most did something. Mm -hmm. virtual which which is you know yeah i mean for me it was that we it's funny pre-covid at sherman oaks film festival and film invasion la if there was a really wonderful film from overseas and i was like we would sometimes take a computer at the festival and do a skype q a uh oh. with the filmmaker in germany we did it for someone in germany and we did it for someone in france where they stayed up to like 
two in the morning so that we they could have a Q&A with their face <laughs> up on the screen and the audience asking questions to me holding a microphone and then me repeating them. And it was really neat. But then two years later, like that was turned out everyone in Europe could do a Q&A <laughs> and everyone in Australia could and New Zealand could do a Q&A and, and Tokyo yeah. it just became a it became normal now. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the way, thank you. I, I'm uh, I'm very honored that that our Q and A ended up on your website, mm-hmm. and that's that's neat. I know I love when that happens. I think there's even a couple of the theatrical Q and As from the festivals on people's like DVD extras when they bother to put out a DVD for something. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's neat. Which is funny, you. Uh, if there was ever a film that deserved a nostalgic DVD release. <laughs> We're like dancing. <laughs> Too bad it's not worth it. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. So since seancing, and, and then uh, and then we tried to get you in the theater. Well, a year later, we we actually did throw seancing in. I, I tacked on an extra night to the Sherman Oaks Film Festival the following year, in some blind effort to try to like recapture it. And uh, some films that had never screened at a theater. And I learned, yeah, when people have had all their friends watch something virtually for over a year, we couldn't get anyone out. Oh, and I'm sorry I didn't make it because um, I was having a baby. Like You literally. were having a baby. That There's night. a very good reason to not be at the theater. Yeah. But trust <laughs> me, it would have been, uh, I would have looked over at you and shrugged and been like, I really thought we'd get people out here to watch your films. I really <laughs> thought this was going to be a wonderful night. And yeah. It was, uh, needless to say, I learned a lesson. Yeah. But a, a good thought. Generous thought. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, it was, COVID was too much. COVID, yeah. a, film, a film that had a virtual run had a virtual run, and that's that. Yeah. And I think there was like a surge of the, that was when Omicron was just starting so it was it was was, honestly so so but i can still say i saw seancing on on a 25 foot screen which is kind of cool yeah with a group of with a group of people laughing and i i actually i could name a couple people there and they they loved it especially uh that night we had two female directors not that i recognize any everyone by gender but but I, I know she really appreciated your film, Sorry. which is excellent. New mom's always got a yawn. I get it. I guess you're not that new. 13 months is not new. But anyway. No. <laughs> Still not sleeping, though. <laughs> Are you... Uh, so since seancing, have you, have you gotten to write stuff or... Um, actually, I am... I have written one little like scary thriller thing that I didn't, it's not my baby, but um, I made with another producer called quiet time. And um, that was like a total collaboration. We wrote it together and, uh, and produced it. And um, you can see it. I think it's on YouTube. Um, So that was a cool foray into a genre that I don't usually <laughs> write in, but I actually act in a lot. And, um, and then I am in the process of, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I have like kind of a crime solving thriller, but with melancholy and personal growth elements, because, you know, that's my jam. Um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully I'll be able to, to, Oh, here comes the baby. Um, <laughs> hopefully I'll be able to get that in production early next year. So that's the plan. Excellent. Excellent. Well, good to hear you're staying productive and, and uh, Lord knows you, you, it's not time management becomes a tough thing all the time with or without kids. So good to, good to hear you're staying at it. Yeah. So and if someone wants to catch up on you, if they want to, uh, is there social media and or websites and stuff they should check out? Yeah. Um, it's just my name uh, is my handle at Alex Angelus. 
but it's Alex with an I, A-L-I-X-A-N-G-E-L-I-S. And I also have alexangelis.com that has like all my uh, directing stuff there. And, um, you know, if you need a music video, love those. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> yeah, if someone wants wants a, a music video director, absolutely. They should mm-hmm. check out. I'm sure I'm sure you have links on there for all your videos. And yeah, you can so you can watch them and it's all um pretty exciting. Uh and also I have uh a writing page of like things that I have in the works that I'm looking for you know, people to attach to and, um, funding and, and all that jazz. So you can sh- check those out as well. <laughs> For sure. Well, I, I always, I do, I, I, I typed it as you said it. So it's in my notes, which means in the show notes for the podcast, there will be clickable links to, to both your profile and your website. Yay. So that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you get, do you have anything else or should I do my, my closing spiel where I say websites and social media handles? Um, no, I think that's it. I'm All right. And, <laughs> and just because he was almost here, I'll just say that, that your husband and producer, uh, his name is Vincent Cardinal and, uh, he does wonderful work. Yes, he does. He's amazing. He does. I, 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 re- I, I remember the Q and a and, and I'm actually really glad we got to talk just the two of us, but you know, is there anyone else you should uh, give a give a shout out to who's been? I I love that you mentioned Thomas a few times. Um, so our basically our whole crew was this uh, company called Two Lemon T O O Lemon, like too much lemon, but just two lemon, and um, they make awesome videos and comedy uh, videos, and but they were our gaffers and grips and sound uh recording and design and hire them they do like commercials and music videos and short form content and they're awesome wow that's a wonderful way to fill in all those roles with one hire instead of instead of oh my (laughs) goodness and if i if i had a dollar for every time a team was brought together on an indie film that I was involved in. And, and there were a handful of people who were brought on who sucked and had to be fired after one day. And then you're scrambling and asking people to do roles that aren't theirs. Yeah. That's a smart thing to bring in, bring in a team. I like that name Two lemon. Yep. (laughs) All right. I will, I will, I will go on my closing ramble spiel, whatever you want to call it about discover indie film. This is the podcast. There's also a TV series. If you want to learn more about either, go to discoverindiefilm.com. And on social media, it's at DIF Wins. If you want to watch this, oh, and by the way, like and subscribe to the podcast and watch the Discover Indie Film TV series on Prime Video so that you can see Seancing and understand why we were so secretive about the ending of the film. <laughs> and and that it's just really just a delightful delightful watch it won two awards at the sherman oaks film festival which is a top 100 film festival in the world out of twelve thousand. i mean come on it's we're talking uh and it's highly selective it's funny i had someone come up to me at the last festival um who was nominated for a screenplay in our screenplay section and she's like i submitted a short and it's not in the festival and i was like uh you know it's a really hard festival to get into i'm not gonna lie like we yeah. get a lot of submissions and you know we rent the theater for six six days but that's we can't get everything in and you know you just want to look someone in the eyes and say maybe it wasn't good i i can't answer why your film's not here but anyway i totally derailed myself discoverindiefilm.com at dif wins on social media go to prime video and type in discover indie film and rent season seven we used to be included with prime which was awesome Amazon decided that Prime Video should indie content. They'd rather not just show it for free and then send us 0.001 cents per hour. They'd rather charge the public and take half of it. Good business model for them. So Uh, I will just plead with anyone listening that, for example, season seven that Alex's film is in, 
I think there's 25 short films in there and they're all independently produced completely just films that are made for the right reasons it's not uh, a feature film that a committee at a studio said how can we make the most profit off uh, off of ip that we already own these were people that made something because it was burning in their chest and they just had to get it out or burning in their minds and they had to get it out so eight dollars to watch 10 episodes that include 25 films that's like that's like 30 cents a movie. Just do it. Just spend the eight bucks. Yeah. And I will mention the Sherman Oaks Film Festival. We talked about it a lot because seancing was was in there. You can learn more about it. We hold it every November. What do you know? In Sherman Oaks. So go to ShermanOaksFF.com or at ShermanOaksFF on social media. And it does have a sister festival that I probably mentioned called Film Invasion Los Angeles. You can learn about that one that we hold every June at FilmInvasionLA.com. And it's at FilmInvasionLA on social media. And I can't help it. I've now added this to my uh, spiel at the end, which is if you are a person who can enjoy marijuana responsibly in a state where it is legal. (laughs) And I happen to live in a state where it's legal and I, you know, on occasion enjoy it. I have we started a thing called high TV. It's a smart TV app where all the content is wonderful to watch when you're high and, uh, <laughs> and it's 420 a month. And of course. I recommend, uh, if you are someone who likes creative indie content, indie films, these are really great films and they're even a little better if you're high, but you don't even have to be high to appreciate art, but you know, I listened to Pink Floyd all my life and never listened to it high until like college. And then I was like, wow, I just heard stuff I never heard before. So yeah, what are you going to do? I'm expanding drugs. Yeah, it is. Uh, but don't abuse drugs. I have I have friends in recovery and I, I take it seriously. But, you know, if you're responsible, please enjoy high TV. And I guess that's all I got to say. Great. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we are about to stop recording and then we will start recording again to get Alex's answers to the Discover Indie Film 4 questions, which will be the podcast after this one. So thank you for listening. And hey, maybe listen to the next one so you can hear all her favorite films and whatnot. All right. Thank you. (laughs) 